funny. I've walked in this place for so many weeks and nobody's ever clapped when I walked in. So I, I appreciate that. I, think, I actually think we should make that part of what we do. So I'll look for it next week, all right? Uh, very excited to be with you this morning. Um, Hayden asked me to come and, and speak in his stead and to bring my game-changing moment um, and, and why that phrase is a big deal to me. Uh, so let, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll go into a time of, of worship here. Father, thank you for, for who you are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for those that are here today. I, I don't think it's a mistake that they are. I pray that you will speak to us this morning in a very specific, very individual way. Uh, may we leave here this morning changed. Whether it be through a word we heard, through the songs that we sang, whether it be a word that you've placed on my heart to share this morning, Lord, may we hear from you this morning. Use me, Father, uh, as a vessel for you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, those that are here uh, thank you for the, the lady who welcomed me walking into Walmart this morning who said she liked my hair. I praise you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. She, she meant a lot to me this morning. I appreciated it. All right, so we're going to talk about game-changing moments. Uh, Game-changer is a big deal to me. Uh, seven years ago, uh, I was, I've been in FCA for a better part of a decade now, and seven years ago, game-changer was our theme uh, for our for the entire year uh, for our camps, and each year they changed the theme. And Game Changer, you can see it over there, was our theme uh, back in 2011. And so all of our camps and all of our literature all had the Game Changer on it. And so that phrase has always meant uh, quite a bit to me. Um, now, usually as these sermons go, I give my story, I read some scripture, then we give a few points from the story. Well, that's, that's not exactly how this one's going to go. Um, to tell my story, first, uh, you need to hear from God's word. So that's where we're going to start. So uh, I'm going to channel my inner hide and say, if you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're ready to eat, say, where in the world is Hayden? Yeah. Okay. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk today about um, something that, that all of us need a little bit more of, and that's our faith. We all need a little bit more faith. And so I want to ask you a couple questions. When was the last time you asked God for something? Maybe this morning, probably. You know, every time we pray, we're asking, right? I want to ask it a little bit differently this morning. When was the last time you asked God to command you to do something? To command you to do something amazing, something miraculous, something fantastic. Not just something for you. But when was the last time you asked him to command you to do something amazing? Now, when you pray that prayer, you got to be ready for the answer. Because if you ask God to command you to do something amazing, he's going to do it. God says, put me to the test. So, have you ever done that before? Have you ever asked God to command you to do something amazing? One of my favorite characters in the Bible is Peter. He was the first to speak, usually the first to put his foot in his mouth, but I tell you, he was, he was a man of faith. The, he, God used him to plant his church. He was the rock by which he planted his church. Uh, that's, the, that's what Peter means. Petra means rock. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible is one you've heard a hundred times if you've come to church at all. 
Um, but hopefully we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna take a little bit more meat off that bone today and you're gonna, you're gonna take something more with you today. And this is Peter when he did something miraculous because he asked God to command him to do it. And that's when he walked on the water. So we're gonna look at Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 22 through 33. Now first, what we always wanna do is we wanna put it into context. So you have to understand what's going on at the time. Uh, so while you're flipping there or turning your screens on or whatever it is you need to do to get there, the words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Um, I want you to understand what was happening around this time. Uh, first of all, the disciples had just buried John the Baptist. John the Baptist proclaimed that Jesus was coming, that the Messiah was coming. And uh, he, he had a horrible death. He was martyred and the, the disciples had just buried John the Baptist. And then they had witnessed something unbelievable miraculous that Jesus had done when he fed the 5,000. Now, in the Bible, in biblical times, when they told these stories, they only counted the men. So when they say 5,000, that was just the men. In addition to that, with the women and children, you're looking at probably close to 10,000 people that Jesus fed with five loaves and two fish. So they had just witnessed this. They, they'd been on a roller coaster. They had just buried their dear friend John the Baptist, and then they had witnessed something unbelievable, something miraculous. So that's where we pick it up, and we're going we're gonna to read from Matthew chapter 14, uh, beginning in verse 22, okay? Uh, it says, immediately, and we're going to use that word a few times, and it's put there very specifically. Like Haydn says, it's there for a reason. It should say therefore first, but immediately after this, Jesus instructed his disciples uh, to get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. Now, let's just stop right there. We've heard this a lot. That's amazing, okay? Jesus came walking to them on the water. Jesus owns the air. Jesus owns the water. Jesus owns everything that there is. I will. And he walked on the water to them. Now, the accounts of this in Mark and John said that he was just going to pass them by. But they noticed him walking towards them on the water. Disciples were in trouble, far away from land, and they were fighting the heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Why would they be terrified? They just saw him do something amazing. Why couldn't he do this amazing thing, right? In their fear, they cried out, it is a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter, my boy Peter, called to him, Lord, if it's really you, Command me to do something amazing. Tell me to come to you walking on the water. Jesus said, yes, come. So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sing. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus, what's that word again? Immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt? When they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped, and the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Incredible story of something miraculous that Peter got to do, 
that Jesus commanded him to do because he asked him to. So a good Baptist preacher will give you three points in a sermon. Well, I am three times the preacher, so I'm going to give you nine, okay? Uh, no extra charge. Get comfortable. All right. We're going to talk about uh, from this book that I have grown to love. Uh, it's a great read. It's from the author John Ortberg, and it's very simply titled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Got to Get Out of the Boat, okay? So if you... If you need a read that's going to take you just a short time, read this book because it gives you the points of what it means to be a water walker, okay? So we're going to talk about what it means to be a water walker this morning. And I'm going to give you nine points about what it means to walk on water and to be a water walker. Okay, so say it with me. Number one. All right. First one, water walkers recognize God's presence. Sometimes to recognize God, you've got to be looking for him. Where's your focus? Where's your focus? Is your focus on God when you walk through these doors and sit in these seats on a Sunday morning? Maybe you're even more religious than that, and maybe you go to a charge group, and you sit in a charge group, and you have your focus on God during that hour or hour and a half during the week. Or maybe you listen to SOS radio on, on, in your car, and you, you sing those songs. Maybe that's when your focus is on God. How much is your focus specifically on God to know where he is? Do we choose to look for God and or notice God when he chooses to reveal himself to us? He chooses to reveal himself to us in all kinds of ways. Could be through another person. Could be through a sermon. Could be through somebody that you come across. Are we willing to hear his voice and recognize his presence when he chooses to speak to us? How good is your focus? Jesus was teaching the disciples a lesson here. Now remember, we got to remember this all through the story, that there was a storm going on. Now, how many, how many are here that have been to a huddle at UNLV? Raise your hand. Give it up for our athletes from UNLV, all right? I'm glad they're here. Um, now, the reason I ask that is because they have heard me say this a hundred times. When it comes to storms... You are always, always in one of three places of your life. Either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or a storm's coming. Always in your life, you're in one of those three places. So when the storm comes, where's your focus? When in between the times when the storm is coming, where's your focus? Are you focusing on Jesus and looking for his presence? It was... It's much easier for us to recognize God's presence when things are calm, when things are surreal, when everything's going as it should be, right? When there's no distractions. That's when it's so easy to focus and have that quiet time and make it to that charge group and be to church on time. And you should be, because our band is great. You should be here at 1030 when they start playing. Um, one claps, we all clap. But when the storms come, where's our focus? Peter recognized God's presence in the most unobvious place, and he recognized an extraordinary opportunity. In the midst of a storm, he said, God, command me to do something amazing. Command me to do something miraculous. And he did. Number two, water walkers discern between faith 
and foolishness. Was Peter taking a risk? Was he? I heard a yes, I heard a no. Was it risky at all to do something monumental or death-defying when Jesus himself calls you to do it? No. No. Not taking a risk at all. Well, in our human eyes, we may think so, because it just doesn't make sense to jump out of a perfectly good boat into the water, because physics shows us that if you jump on the water, the water will, allow us, will envelop us and will sink, right? But Jesus called him to do it. This, is, this, is, this story primarily is about obedience. Sure, Peter needed courage to do it, but it had to be accompanied by wisdom and discernment. But I lack wisdom. That's a cop-out. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without finding fault, and he will give it to you. Do you feel like you have no wisdom? Do you have knowledge? Knowledge is much different than wisdom. Knowledge we can gain, we can read books, we can learn, we can do things. Wisdom is understanding. Wisdom is putting our trust into knowing that what Jesus is telling us is true. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. He will give it to you. And then you have to discern. What's discern? To tell the difference between two options. Do I stay in the boat? Do I jump out of the boat onto the water? Because Jesus commanded me to do it. Because I asked him to. Can do it versus called to do it. Now, I I will argue that um, Philippians 4.13 is one of the most wrongly quoted verses in the entire Bible. Philippians 4.13 says what? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You have to understand the difference between faith and foolishness. See, you have to, again, understand the context. Because leading up to that verse, Philippians 4.13, Paul wrote this. He said, I know what it is to have a lot. I know what it is to have nothing. I have learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If Jesus calls you to do it, you can do it. And he will give you the strength. He will give you the ability. He will give you everything that you need to be equipped to have to do it. But not just because you want to. A lot of things I want to do. I'd love to go try out for the Knights. That's pretty good right now, right? But I don't have the skill to skate. I don't have the ability with this old body of mine to take the punishment that they do. There's a difference between can do and called to do. Peter didn't just get a running start and leap into the solid water. He asked to be commanded to do something amazing, and he had the faith to do it. Number three, water walkers get out of the boat. Okay, put yourself in Peter's shoes or his sandals or whatever what he was wearing. Would you? Have you? Don't forget, Peter didn't just get out of the boat. He got out when there was a storm. So you got to understand the picture of what we're looking at. So that question you knew was coming. What's your boat that you've got to get out of? What is your boat that you've become very, very comfortable in? Even in the storms, when it's rocking you back and forth, you just huddle in the corner. Family, your office, your neighbors, your team, something bigger? Is it your vocation? Are there, is it relationships? Is it an addiction? That's when all the heads start looking somewhere else. Yeah. Is it your own success? 
What is, what is your boat that is causing you to not be able to focus on Jesus? Want to know what your boat is? Your fear and your apprehension will tell you. What's your boat? It's the thing that is keeping you from fully and courageously trusting God. So what is your boat? What's the thing that you've got to get out of in order to do something amazing, miraculous, to do that thing that God has called you to do? You specifically, mind you, because you have been specifically made. God made you very specifically for a purpose. He made you and broke the mold. It's good for some of us. <laughs> but he made you very specifically. Got to get out of your boat. Number four, water walkers expect problems. Picture the scene, okay? Got the boat. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to do it. Jesus said, yes, come. So do you think he just hopped out and walked to him? I don't think so. There's that boat, you know, is... Got to also understand, most of the disciples, what were they by trade? Fishermen. They were fishermen. So they knew boats. They understood water. They understood how things worked. And they were still terrified because of the magnitude of this storm they were in. And so he says, command me to come. He says, come. So imagine that moment of stepping out over and putting that foot down, right? Is it going to hold me? You know, and then stepping out. You seen the toddler when they first learned how to walk? They got those wobbly legs. Can you imagine Peter? Oh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. You know, taking, very cautiously taking those steps. Can you picture that? He was expecting problems even in the midst of what he was doing. Faith isn't faith until it's all you're holding on to. Faith is not faith until it's what you are holding on to. Peter, holding on to his faith, was letting go of that boat and getting into the water and walking towards Jesus. He saw the problem, though, right? That storm was coming. Right then, he had another choice. Do I continue on the path that I'm on, focused on Jesus, or do I look at the impending waves, the wind, all the stuff that my human mind tells me is stronger. He had a choice. We all have a choice when it comes to our faith. What are we going to focus on? Point number five. Water walkers accept fear as the price of growth. Water walkers accept fear as the price of growth. This is the tough part. Fear accompanies faith. It will. God said you can do it. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be fearful. It's the idea of getting out of your boat a little bit every day. You got that person you got to talk to. You know God's pushing you to do it. Well, today I'm going to say hello. You know what? Tomorrow I'm going to say, how you doing? The next day, and the next day, and the next day. What is God calling you to do? You might be in a place where God's calling you to do something right now. He'll give you the strength to do it. But it's God calling you to get out of that boat a little bit every day. 
All the champions of faith described in Hebrews chapter 11 all had fear that went along with their steps of faith. If you, ever, if you ever want to know what faith is, read Hebrews chapter 11. It will give you a laundry list of the champions of faith throughout the Bible uh, that had faith that, gosh, I wish that I had sometimes. Moses had fear, did he not? He was told to go into Pharaoh's court and tell him to let his people go. And he stuttered, right? God said, do it. I'll give you the strength. And something miraculous happened. Abraham, Jesus, or God told Abraham, wake up, take everything you, you have, and take your family and go. He didn't even tell him where he was going. Would you do that? That's faith, to go when you don't know where you're going. Noah, huh, had never rained, and he's building a boat on dry land. Think he was a little fearful? He needed the faith to do it. David stood in front of that giant courageously, or most of us would be shaken in our boots. Rahab, she was a prostitute, but she delivered the spies, and Rahab played a major role. She's in the line of Jesus himself. If God calls you to do something, he's going to give you the strength to do it. Number six, water walkers master failure management. Okay, the big theological question in this story, did Peter fail? Did Peter fail? Okay, show of hands. Everybody has to participate. This is the audience particip participatory started, I can't say that word, uh, part of this sermon. Okay, show of hands. You say, yes, Peter failed. Okay? No, Peter didn't. He did, and he didn't, so you're all right. We're all winners. Your trophies are waiting by the back when you leave. Okay, so let me explain. Failure is not an event, but rather a judgment about an event. Let that sink in. Failure is not an event, but rather a judgment about an event. It's how we judge the outcome. Again, it's our focus. We have a lot of athletes in here. Judgment about a sporting event is based on what the scoreboard says. But are you a failure if you lose the game? Depends on your focus, right? Did Peter fail in his experience? Yes, he did. What about the other 11 cowards that were sitting in the back of the boat watching? Who fails more? The one who tries and learns or the one who doesn't try at all? Jonas Salk, he developed the vaccine for polio. Took him several hundred tries to get it to work. He was asked how it felt to fail 200 times. He said, actually, I just found 200 ways not to vaccinate for polio. What's your focus? Don't be too quick to judge on failure when you might be the one sitting in the back of the boat. The worst failure is not to sink in the waves, the worst failure is to never get out of the boat. You got to get out of your boat. Number seven, water walkers see failure as an opportunity to grow. Jesus' response to Peter's failure. Remember when he, when he failed? He sank, 
Now, what could have Jesus done? He could have stood back on the water and said, I'll teach you. You go ahead and flail around there a little bit. What did he do? Immediately, he reached, him, reached down and pulled him up. And he, he taught him. He said, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Our focus has to be so precise, so pinpoint. Okay, so we're going to role play here for a second, okay? God forgive me, but I'm going to play the role of Jesus. Okay, didn't get struck down. Okay, I'm going to play the role of Jesus. All of you are going to play the role of Peter, okay? I want you, with everything you have and with all the focus you have, to completely focus on me. Okay, Our, my, my lunatic helpers, thank you very much. Okay. It's hard to see with the lights, but I saw every head turn. What I said was, focus on me. Isn't that what Jesus asks? Focus on me. Don't be distracted. If I give you the strength to do something, it doesn't matter what's coming in. It doesn't matter because when you're doing what God has called you to do, you are in the right place. But your focus has to be so precise. It has to be so perfect so that when that storm comes, our gaze doesn't shift. Number eight, water walkers wait on the Lord. Jesus didn't come to the disciples at the beginning of the storm. Oh, no. He, he let it toss about, and he, he let them get pretty scared. And these were fishermen. They knew boats. You, so you can understand the magnitude of this, of this uh, storm that they were in. Why didn't Jesus calm the waters before Peter came out of the boat? Think about that. Did he have the power to do it? 100%. He wanted Peter to experience the full magnitude of what it meant to be in God's will. Because when you walk on water in the middle of the storm, it's more meaningful than when you walk on water when that water is still. Last point, number nine. Water walking brings a deeper connection with God. Was Peter closer to Jesus before or after this instance? After. I, I would argue 100% after. There are a lot of good reasons for getting out of the boat, but the best reason? The water is where Jesus is. Would you rather be in your little security bubble of where you are and what you feel comfortable with, or would you rather be doing something miraculous with Jesus? Got to get out of the boat. Every step of faith is a step toward a closer walk with Christ. Twelve disciples in the boat that night. Each one experienced something amazing, but Peter experienced something life-altering. And got a closer walk with Christ. Sometimes God calls us to come. Sometimes God asks us to go. This obviously was a game changer 
for Peter. Would you agree? Jesus has called to come. My game changer, and I've had many, was a, was a similar call. Um, let me preface by saying, I am a misfit, sinner, screw-up, just like you. If you're taking notes, write that down. <laughs> I went to church. He called me a misfit, screw-up, sinner. You are, and so am I. This game changer for me was, was, was an answer to God's call. Um, it happened uh, my third year playing in the NFL. Okay. <laughs> All right. I didn't play in the NFL. Happened my third year of playing college football. All right. I didn't do that either. Okay, see... I realized in high school that God blessed certain people with athletic ability to go to the next level. I was not one of those. But I loved sports. I loved athletics. I loved, I loved competition. I played every sport there was growing up. Season changed. My uniform changed. I played everything. But I realized that I didn't focus on one. <laughs> Duh. And I realized that, okay, I... I'm not going to get paid to play it. That's a given. But I could get paid to talk about it. Yeah, see? So I went to the University of Missouri, uh, which is the number one journalism school in the world. M-I-Z-Z-O-U. Um, and uh, got a bachelor's of journalism in broadcasting. And I was ready to conquer the world through the medium of sports broadcasting. And I felt like it was right where God wanted me to be. A lot of prayer went into it. I felt like that is what I was supposed to do. I graduated, and the job was not waiting for me. A month went by. No job. Lots of tapes sent out. See, okay, let me clarify for all you youngins out there. We had to send out tapes. Do you understand what that is? It's not digital. It's not digital, okay? Back in my day, they, we, had to, we had to make resume tapes to send out to the different uh, openings around the country, wherever they had an opening. And I, if there was an opening for a sports anchor, I sent it everywhere. And I mean everywhere. Tapes went out. First month, nothing. Second month, nothing. Third month, nothing. <laughs> Excuse me, six months after graduation, I received my first job offer, and you can imagine, I was, Heather and I were newly married, and uh, it was such a relief, got that first, first job offer, because in the business, the way it works, the business, the way it works is, you get that job, you get a little bit of experience, you move on to the next one, right? It's just how it works. Get the experience, move on. I got a job offer in Kalispell, Montana. Anybody ever heard of Kalispell, Montana? Anybody ever been to Kalispell, Montana? A couple of you. It's beautiful, okay? I had never been to that part of the world before. Um, Heather and I flew up for the weekend. The, the news director said, you don't need to fly up. You got the job if you want it. But we felt led that we had to fly up there. We fly up to, there's, there's no airport to go directly into Kalispell, so we flew into Spokane, rented a car, drove, just 
God's country out there. We had to stop so many times just to get out and just appreciate God. So we drive to Kalispell. I meet with the news director. He's like, I don't know why you're here. You got the job if you want it. Um, we sat down and talked about salary. I think they call it salary. It wasn't much. Um, but you get the job. You move on to the next one, right? While we were there, uh, Heather, who is a, a registered nurse, couldn't find a job. We couldn't find an apartment. We couldn't find anything. Every door was being closed in our face. And we didn't understand why. It didn't make sense. So we were there into a Sunday morning and we said, we need to go to church. And honestly, I didn't want to. Because I wasn't all that happy. But we went to church. I had a nice shirt and tie on. Heather had a dress on. We walked into church and almost turned around and walked out. Because what greeted us were belt buckles, <laughs> cowboy hats, and we were like, where are we? And we almost left, but I'll tell you, we were supposed to be there. The pastor that morning talked about Paul and Silas from the book of Acts traveling and looking for where they were going to do their revival. They stopped at a place and they said, Lord, this is it. We're going to have a huge revival. And God said, no, this isn't where I want you to be. Keep going. They didn't understand, but they went. So they went to the next place and they stopped and they said, this is where we're going to have a revival. God said, no, this isn't where I, this isn't where I want you to be. You got to keep going. They didn't understand, so they kept going. Finally, they reached the place where God wanted them to be. They said, this now... And he said, yes, this is where I want you to be. And thousands of souls were saved. Amazing story. And the point of his story was when God says, go, you got to go. But when God says, don't go, you don't go. And we sat back in the pew. Those were long benches. <laughs> we sat back in the pew and we said, we're not supposed to be here. And it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to us at all. So I went back to the news director. And I said, I need to decline. And his response was, why are you wasting my time? I need somebody in this position. Goodbye. Flew back to Columbia, Missouri. All our friends, my coworkers, they're like, congratulations. I said, we didn't take the job. Who do you think you are? You take the job, get some experience, move on to the next one. So many people could not understand that God said, don't go. We did not have the support of our peers. I did not have the support of my coworkers. They said, you're a fool. We said, God told us not to go. So the story goes that the next job offer didn't come the next month or the next month. I did work there at the station there doing a little bit, but not full time. They allowed me to stay and work 16 months, 16 more months until February of 1997. I had Heather worked overnights at the hospital. I had picked her up. Um, and we had come home, and I found it odd that we had a, a message on our answering machine. 
and uh, said, it was one of my professors at Mizzou. He said, hey, Rick, uh, one of my former um, students is the sports director at the NBC station in Las Vegas. He said they got an opening, you should send them a tape. Okay, another one. I think we actually laughed. Las Vegas? <laughs> Where's that? So I sent a tape, and I started March 1st. And it was amazing to us because we weren't supposed to go the first time. This time, God opened every door. Everything was laid out in front of us to come out here. And still, I thought this was going to be a place where I come, get a little bit of experience, and then I move on. Never dreamed that I'd spend the rest of my TV career in Las Vegas, 11 years, and at Channel 3 doing sports. And, and you know, it was, it was a good time. But then the time came where God said, I've got something else for you. I was like, wait a minute. Things are going good. I'm successful. I was seven-time sportscaster of the year. Come on, I got to go for number eight. I'm glad for that. In my mind, that's where my focus was. But God said, I had something else for you. And he started changing my heart. Had another game-changing moment because he was calling me to take what I knew in the sports industry and shift it to what these athletes could do off the field versus what they were doing on. And I had to have the time to be able to have the passion that I have now for doing what I do. God had a plan. God had a plan in all of it. And a couple times, he asked me to get out of the boat And it was hard. And it didn't make sense. But I stand here today and I'll tell you that God had a very specific plan in all of it. He just wanted my yes on the table. He wanted me to get out of the boat. So I'll ask you one more time. What's your boat? Is God calling you to go? God may be calling you to go across the world. He may. He may be calling you to go across the country. That's where we went. He may be calling you to go across the street. He may be asking you to go across the office maybe asking you to go across the dinner table. When God says go, you gotta go. When God says come, he wants you to come. Your game-changing moment is just waiting for your yes. Will you pray with me?